0: So that will air Christmas morning. We can't wait to share that with you guys. We've been working hard on that. Jonathan and his team have been putting that together. Can you guys help me thank Jonathan Mondragon for piecing that together? It's gonna be awesome. You guys are gonna love it. And it's a great opportunity. I have family coming up for Christmas. Oftentimes, they don't get to go to services. And so I'm so excited that we're gonna be able to sit around uh, the TV together and watch a service together. We got baking in there. We got some games in there. Got the kids in there. We got a message in there. Traditional service things. It is going to be awesome. So mark your calendars for that. That'll stream on Christmas morning. Well, welcome again to South Valley. My name is Ricky Hemme. It's great to have you guys in person today, and it's great to have you joining us online. If you're joining us there this morning, we are in week two of Advent. Our series is titled Emmanuel. And if you remember from last week, the word Advent simply means coming or arrival. Advent is this wonderful time of year that we bring our attention and our reverence to the birth of Jesus and the true meaning of the Christmas season. It's a time where Christians from around the globe, they slow down to reflect on the peace and the love and the joy and the hope that Jesus Christ came to secure for us. And throughout this series, we're going to be using the book of Hebrews to piece together a portrait of Jesus Christ and we chose Hebrews because you'd be hard-pressed to find a greater Christology in all of Scripture than the one presented here. If you want to know who Jesus is and why Jesus came, really Hebrews is one of the greatest books in the entire Bible to explain that to us. It's a sermon written to call attention to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It's a commentary on the Old Testament and a reminder that Jesus is greater than everyone and everything that came before him. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the kings of old. He's greater than every old covenant institution, including the sacrificial system and the temple itself. The book of Hebrews is written to declare Jesus Christ is supreme. And the reason that message was so important is because there was a temptation during this time to think that maybe there's a better option out there than Jesus. Maybe we need to go back to the old ways. Maybe maybe Jesus isn't the right way. Maybe Jesus isn't supreme. And so what he's doing in the book of Hebrews is he's showing how every single system, every single priest, every single thing came up short and how Jesus perfectly fulfills Everything God promised, God came to us in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. So the Christmas season is a big deal. That's why we try to do... Decorations on our campus. That's why we do, uh, by the way, we just were uh, um, at the Lamore Christmas Parade last night. If you guys went there last night, you saw our giant float, massive float, put together by Kyle Edwards and Kenesha and Dennis and Duke. Can we give them a big round of applause for putting that together? We make a big deal out of Christmas because we believe that Christmas represents everything that Jesus came to bring and secure for us as human beings. And so that's why we do floats and that's why we decorate the stage and that's why we do Christmas special on Christmas morning. We want to make a big deal out of Jesus this Christmas season. And the question that everyone is asking right now. During this time, every year, every December, these are the question, this is the question that we're asking. It's, who is Jesus? The whole world's talking about him at the moment. But who is he? Last week, we learned that Jesus is the supreme prophet and the owner of all things and the exact imprint of God's being. Today, though, we're gonna get Three additional characteristics of Jesus are Jesus' portrait in Hebrews chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles or whatever you use, turn to Hebrews 2, starting in verse 14. As you turn there, I'm going to pray and we'll jump into this message. God, I just want to say thank you so much for this church. I'm so grateful for every person in the room here today. I'm grateful for the Christmas season. I'm grateful that we're going to get to celebrate you in so many different ways this Christmas. And right now, as, uh, as we open your word, Father God, I pray that you would draw our attention to your son, Jesus Christ. The one who rules and reigns supreme on the throne. The manger scene happened so that salvation could happen. And so we just fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith this morning, Jesus Christ, and we pray these things in his name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Growing up, my grandfather, he used to share this story about the human's desire to escape death. It's called Appointment in Samara." And the legend tells of a merchant in Baghdad who one day sent his servant to the marketplace. But before long, the servant came back and he was pale and he was trembling and in great agitation, he said to his master, down in the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. And when I turned around, I saw that it was death that had jostled me. And she looked up at me, and she made this threatening gesture at me. And and so, Master, please, let me borrow your horse, for I must hasten and run away to avoid her. I'll ride to Samara, and I'll hide from her, and death won't find me. And so the merchant, he was a, you know, he's a good master to his servant. So he lent the horse and the servant galloped away in great haste. And later the merchant went down to the marketplace and he too saw death and death was standing there in the crowd. And so he went up to death and he asked her, why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make that threatening gesture at him? And death said, that was no threatening gesture, said death. It was only a start of surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad because I have an appointment with him tonight in Samarra. (laughs) Euripides, the poet, calls death the debt we all must pay. King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, for everything there's a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for a man to die once. And after that comes the judgment. So regardless of our position, regardless of our power, regardless of our wealth or our influence, we are all destined to one day die. We all have an appointment with death. Someone else said that one out of one person's dies and that includes you. No one gets out alive. What if I told you, though, that you don't need to be afraid of this appointment? What if I told you, though, that you don't need to be afraid of death? You see, that's what this passage that we're studying today is written to proclaim and declare to the believer, you don't need to be afraid. This is what he says in Hebrews 2, starting in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those, through, those who through death Fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps. Jesus didn't come to die for angels. He came to die for the offspring of Abraham, for people. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, that's atonement, to to redirect God's wrath to where at one time God's wrath is on you and now instead of God's wrath, you get favor, that's propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's our passage today. Now I mentioned last week that the book of Hebrews is one of the most challenging New Testament books. And you could see why here, right? This is, these are some really challenging verses to really dissect and interpret. So we're going to do our best to dissect it in the time that we have. Our passage today provides three new portraits of Jesus. We got a little bit of an idea of who Jesus is last week. We're going to get three additional characteristics. The first characteristic, though, that I want to share with you today is that Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He's the captain of our salvation. If you go up a few verses earlier to verse 10, he says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The Greek word founder is the term "archagos," And "archagos" means a pioneer, a trailblazer, or a captain. And so the Christmas story is this yearly reminder that Jesus has gone where no man has gone before. He is the captain, he is the pioneer, he is the trailblazer of our salvation. So think about this for a second. The goal of a captain, right, the goal of a captain is to bring people, to bring a vessel from one land to another, to cross the seas from one land to another, And the the captains that, you know, are the ones that are written about in the history books are those who went and blazed new trails and found new lands and did new things that no one did before them. Okay, those were the trailblazers, those kind of captains. Jesus is a captain who doesn't just bring people from one land to another. He brings them from one realm to another. Jesus has done what no other person can do and will ever be able to do because he came from heaven to earth in order to bring people from earth to heaven. You guys see that? He is the captain, the trailblazer, the one, the pioneer of our salvation. Last week I preached at our youth group. We have an amazing youth group. I just mentioned Jonathan. We have kids there every week and it is awesome. If you don't send your kid to the youth group, I recommend getting them there. They're doing an amazing thing in there. And, and so I was preaching, yeah. I, was that a sneeze or was that a yes? Well, I'll take it as a yes, okay. <laughs> Uh, I was preaching in there last Wednesday and I mentioned to them that growing up, uh, I didn't have, nobody had GPS. Um, I know it's kind of hard to think about that, right? Like right now, if I want to go somewhere, I just tell Siri, take me there. And most of the time she takes me there. Other times like I get lost and I, I try to not to raise my voice at Siri as if it's going to change anything. Um, but here's how, when you used to go places growing up, many of this, this is true of many of you in this room when you wanted to go somewhere, you didn't get to ask your phone, because growing up, you didn't even have a phone in your pocket, number one. And number two, GPS was not readily available for people, so we didn't, you could, didn't, didn't even have MapQuest. And so if you wanted to go somewhere, you would have to go ask somebody for directions how to get somewhere. And... Usually when you asked for directions, people didn't actually even mention street names. They just mentioned landmarks, right? Like go straight and then you'll see the white church and you turn right at the white church and then you're going to count 25 trees and then you're going to turn left. And then once you go down there, you're going to see there's this yellow Volkswagen bug. I've always wanted to buy it. I never had enough money for it, but it's, and it's right across the street from the Volkswagen bug. That's how you get there. And like, that's, that's how I got places as a kid. I never knew street names, but I knew every landmark in town. That's how I figured out where I was at. Some of you are like, yes, that's my childhood too. Some of you are like, I still don't know what GPS is. And that's how I get around everywhere. <laughs> but here's the thing. You couldn't get somewhere unless you asked for directions and you could only get directions from people who had been there before, right? Right? You, you had, if you're going to get directions, it was, it was trustworthy directions, then you needed to receive those directions from somebody who had actually taken that journey and been there before so that they actually send you in the right direction. Because if you get lost, you don't get to hop on your cell phone and say, where am I? You are lost. Jesus is the only one who knows the direction to heaven because Jesus is the only one who is actually from heaven. He's the only one from heaven. He came from heaven to earth to give direction and make a way and blaze a path and captain a ship to bring many people with him back to the Father. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He has authority to chart a path from earth to heaven because he's the only one who knows the way. He's not a created being. He's the eternal Son of God. He said goodbye to the Father for a season. He left behind his pristine home in heaven. He took on flesh, became a human being just like us, lived among us, was born in a manger, lived a life we couldn't live, died a death that we deserve to die. And his message was, I can get you home. Just believe in me, trust me, and I will get you there. And this is mind-blowing because... Every religion on the planet is about us getting to God on our own. Can I do enough good things? Can I do enough to outweigh the bad in my life? Can I get God's attention? Can I, can I do this? Can I build a mosque? Can I do a, you know, a trip to the Holy Land? Can I you know, sponsor this or get, get rid of that or, or do, practice penance? Say Hail Marys. What can I do for God to actually look at me and notice me and care about me and secure my salvation? What can I do? And and, and every religion on the planet is, well, you know, hopefully it works out for you. You know, I sure hope it works out. And some religions will say, well, if it doesn't work out, at least, you know, there's purgatory. And you might only spend a couple million years there. And then, you know, you might be able to get out. If your family loves you back home and they're doing things on your behalf, then you might be able to get out earlier Christmas is a declaration. We can't get to God. Doesn't matter how much penance you do. Doesn't matter how many travels to some holy temple or land you make. Doesn't matter how hard you try to live a life that the good outweighs the bad. You cannot get to a perfect and holy and righteous and just and worthy God all on your own. You cannot do it. But God loves you so much, instead of making you come to him, he came down to you and to me. That's the message of Christmas. Jesus is the captain of our Salvation, and in order to do this, he had to become like us. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Share is the Greek term koinonia. Koinonia means to have fellowship with. It involves having something in common with others. All human beings, one thing that all human beings have in common as we are made of flesh and blood. Jesus, though, is the eternal Son of God. Jesus doesn't share uh, the nature that you and I share, and so he took on, Christ partook of our nature. He willingly took hold of something which did not naturally belong to him in order to blaze a trail for us, Jesus became like us. C.S. Lewis says, the son of God became a man in order to enable men to become sons of God. He is the captain of our salvation, which leads to point number two. And that's that Jesus is our champion over Satan and death. I know that Christmas is not usually a time where we talk about death. Okay, I get that. And so I was actually going to preach this sermon on candlelight service. And I'm like, ah, that's probably a little too heavy for candlelight. And so I saved it for you guys. You, guys, you, guys, you get it today instead. So I'll, I'll preach a little lighter message at candlelight. But Bethlehem happened so that Calvary could happen. I know the Jesus story. The Christmas story is a birth story. But the reason we tell this birth story over and over and over again is because of what Jesus' death did for us. Yes, it's a birth story, but the birth happened so that a death could happen. Listen to what Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Although Christmas is a birth story, we need to keep in mind Bethlehem happened so Calvary could. Christmas forces us to ask the question if Jesus is God, why did he become a man? Why take on flesh? Well, Hebrews says that Satan's primary power over man, his supreme weapon against us, is death. And sin is what gives Satan that power. It's how he trapped Adam and Eve through sin, and sin led to death. And the only way, though, to destroy Satan is to rob him of this weapon Satan wants to hold on to us until we die to keep us from God we cannot escape death on our own we are slaves to it this passage says so God had to rip from Satan the power of death and so here is a very sobering reality underneath all the beauty and all the fun and all the lacquer that we have smothered on the Christmas story is one sobering truth and it's this Jesus was born born to die. He was born to die. Jesus was born to defeat death through death. He took on flesh and blood for the sole purpose of dying. Bethlehem happened so Calvary could. And so here's what this means. Those soft baby hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. They were made that nails one day might be driven through them. Jesus' beautiful pudgy feet, soft, warm body, unable to walk, they were fashioned to one day walk up a hill and be nailed to a cross. His sweet head with sparkling eyes and eager smile was formed in order that one day men might crush into it a crown of thorns and his tender body, warmly wrapped in swaddling cloths by his mother, lying there in a manger, was crafted to one day be pierced by a spear and reveal a broken heart. Jesus Christ was born to die. He is our champion over Satan, to de- Satan and death. And the way he championed us, the way he won us, was by dying for us. That's the Christmas story. Now, I know that's heavy, which is why we're talking about this today. But here's what I want you to know. A champion is someone who fights on behalf of someone else. Okay, you've probably seen this in movies. Like sometimes in a movie, if a nation doesn't want to, you know, sacrifice all their people, they'll send forth a champion to represent the nation. And if the champion wins the battle, then they say that that side wins the battle. We see this with David and Goliath, right? Goliath represents the Philistines. David represents the Israelites. Whoever wins, wins on behalf of their nation. Satan sent forth his champion. His name is death. Death has been destroying. And, and for, for ever since the fall, death has been the winner. And so God came, sent his son. His son sends forth his own champion. His champion is eternal life. And when death and eternal life go To battle, Jesus comes out on top. Eternal life wins, and because eternal life wins, you and I no longer need to be afraid of death. Do you see the logic here in Hebrews chapter two? Jesus is our champion over Satan and death. Jesus had a more powerful weapon than his enemy. Satan's weapon is extremely powerful, but God has a weapon even more powerful, eternal life, and with it, Jesus destroyed death. The, The way to eternal life, though, was through resurrection resurrection so in order to resurrect you first have to die and so Jesus is dying destroyed death he went into death through death came out on the other side thereby conquering it Satan sent forth death Jesus sent forth eternal life the Bethlehem story is actually a Calvary story Jesus came to die and he came to die for us to be a champion and captain of our salvation you guys see the beauty of that Christmas story We've lacquered up the story, we gloss it over, we talk about a baby in a manger, but we often forget why this baby was in flesh in the first place. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus have to die? He died so that we could live. And just as he rose from the grave, he promises that everyone who belongs to him will one day at his second coming rise from the grave. You don't have to be afraid of death because to live is Christ, to die is what? To die is gain. To be away from the body, we read in scripture, is to be at home with the Lord. And so this means that even though you and I, we all share that appointment, that appointment with death, When that appointment comes, not a single one of us in this room, if we belong to Jesus, need to be afraid, need to be trembling, because we know that to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You don't need to be afraid of death. If you know Jesus, you don't need to be afraid of death. He lived so that you could be a conqueror of death. There's one more final portrait that we see in this passage. And that is that Jesus is our sympathizer. Listen to verses 17 through 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. That's to avert the the wrath of God. So God's wrath is, is on Jesus instead of on us to divert that wrath. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So again, the writer answers the question if Jesus is God, why did he become a man? We already learned that he came to substitute himself for men. We already learned that he came to chart a path to heaven. We already learned that he came to destroy death. But beyond that, he also came to help the tempted and the hurting. Jesus came to take on our weaknesses as human beings. Jesus wanted to feel everything that we feel so that he could be a a merciful and faithful high priest, somebody who understands us and represents us to the Father. He came not only to save us, but to sympathize with us. And here's what this means for you today. Jesus understands you. You might feel at times that you are not understood. You might feel at times that people don't see you. You might feel at times that what you are going through is totally unique and no one understands it and no one gets it and no one has felt it and no one can sympathize with it. But what I want you to know today is this, Jesus Christ can. He took on flesh, not just to save you, but to sympathize with you. You know what it's like to be stabbed in the back. So does Jesus. You know what it's like to have pain in your body. So does Jesus. You know what it's like to be anxious. You know what it's like to be afraid. You know what it's like to to wonder at times, like, oh my gosh, is this the right direction to go? We saw that with Jesus in the garden, right? You know what it's like as a human being to be tempted to sin, to be tempted to abandon the Father. You know what it's like, and guess what? The author and the perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ, he does too. You are never alone, you are never misunderstood. Jesus sees you, Jesus gets you, and he has endured everything in his flesh so that he can sympathize with you this morning with whatever you're going through he cares he sees he cares he understands so what this means is that whatever you're going through you could be reminded Jesus has been there before you can get down on your knees when the going gets tough and you can pray, Lord, you know what you went through when you were here and I'm going through it now. And he will say, yes, I know, because yes, he understands. When you go through something hard, Jesus understands. And here's the thing. The reason this is a message of hope is because when we're going through hard things, we want somebody who has also gone through hard things to talk to, right? Jesus has gone through it all. Jesus knows what it's like to be single. Jesus knows what it's like to be homeless. Jesus knows what it's like when all of his friends and all the local rabbis were going off to school and getting these awesome jobs and getting their homes and and doing all of those things. Jesus had no no job, no home despised by his friends, despised by most of his family, even his brothers and sisters, they didn't believe in him until after his resurrection. Jesus was also nailed to a cross, falsely accused. He he sweat drops of blood in the garden. He was a virgin. He he, he was a virgin. He he didn't have a wife. He didn't have kids. He didn't have most of the pleasures that you and I as human beings get to experience, he forwent all of these things. He put them aside. He left his pristine, perfect home in heaven. He came, he was born as a peasant in a manger. Guys, I don't know when the last time was that you went into an animal environment with chickens and cows and, and hay. It stinks. You would never in a million years set your baby in a manger surrounded by animals the moment the baby came out of the mother. You would never do that. That's disgusting. That's what Jesus was born into. And not into a palace, not into richness, not even to a family that had a good career. We don't even know his, earthly father, Joseph, he's out of the picture at some point. So then Mary is raising Jesus by herself. She has other kids too. She's poor. Jesus is poor. He gets it. You guys think you're going through something hard? Jesus has gone through everything and it's been so much harder and it's been so much greater. And and Satan, here's the other thing. Satan, he, you know, he sends for demons and all that stuff to tempt us and distract us and pull us away. Jesus was attacked Daily by Satan himself. He was tempted like, hey, I know you're hungry, you haven't eaten in all these days and you're out here in the wilderness. Why don't you just turn these stones to bread and, and have a meal? Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus knows temptation. You see, temptation is this thing in us where we are wooed to go our own way, to stop trusting in God's provision, to stop trusting in God's word and to do things our own way. But it's actually when we give into temptation, we're actually choosing to trust Satan's provision and Satan's way instead of God's way. And that's what temptation is in our lives. We've all been there. We've all given into temptation, but Jesus, what's so different about him is that although he's been tempted in every way that you and I have been, never sinned. A perfect representative took on flesh to be a captain of our salvation, took on flesh to be our champion over Satan, sin, and death, took on flesh to be our great sympathizer. He knows what it's like to be angry. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back, to be dirty, to be sick, to feel pain, to be tired, to be hungry, stressed, and anxious. John MacArthur says he was hungry. He was thirsty was overcome with fatigue. He slept. He was taught. He grew. He loved. He was astonished. He was glad. He was angry. He was indignant. He was sarcastic. He was grieved. He was troubled. He was overcome by future events. He exercised faith. He read the scriptures. He prayed. He was saddened to see his friends hurting, and he cried when his heart ached. Jesus experienced what you and I experience. He understands because he took on flesh. There will be a time, though, in your life where you're tempted like the Hebrews to believe that Jesus is not not enough. The book of Hebrews in this Advent series is a declaration that Jesus is worthy of it all. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your time. He's worthy of your devotion. And if you're struggling and if you're hurting and if you're feeling backed into a corner and you're feeling misunderstood and unseen, you can bring your stuff to him and he sees and he understands and he gets you better than anybody else because he's been there, he's done that, he knows what you're going through. And you know what he is? Your high priest. He is interceding on your behalf in the presence of the Father. Right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he is praying for you. And he is lifting up your concerns to God. And he has your back in the throne room of God. And he's interceding. Okay, You don't have a priest because Jesus is your priest. You bring it to Jesus. Jesus brings it to the Father. And I'm just going to tell you right now, Jesus is the only kind of priest that you can really trust. Because Jesus has been to heaven, come to earth, and he's back in heaven seated at the right hand of God. You can bring it to him, and he will bring it to the Father, and he will come through for you. Some of you today, you think, you know what? I don't even know about this religion thing because I just don't even know if God will hear me or do anything about my circumstances or understand what I'm going through. Yes, he will. He will. He can get you through this. He can be your captain. And so uh, three ways to apply today's message. Number one, trust your captain. Trust your captain today. He's leading you to the promised land. He's leading you to somewhere great that's for his glory, for your joy. Trust him, even when it's hard, even when you're struggling, even when you want to throw in the towel. Trust your captain, Jesus Christ, today. And sometimes... He may leave you hanging on until, you know, like that very last moment where you feel like you're at your last thread, and then he'll show up. He often does it that way. He doesn't always work on our timing, but his timing is always perfect when we trust him and follow him. He will come through. Trust your Savior. Reject false saviors. Trust your captain. Number two, learn to sympathize with others. Jesus came, took on flesh, went through the miseries of human human beings in order to sympathize with them. He knows hunger. He knows pain. He knows distress. He knows abandonment. He knows it all because he took on flesh and now he can sympathize with others. Jesus is calling you to be sympathizer towards others as well. Who needs a little extra grace and a little extra love in your life right now? Who could really use a nice text message? Who could really use a, you know, a a sit down around coffee? Who could really use some nice cookies right now? Who, who in your life needs a little bit of sympathy, a little bit of extra grace? Okay, we are in—we live in America where we are so fast-paced and we have so much going on. We often overlook the needs of people right in front of us. Jesus wants to be, use you as a sympathizer to help those who are hurting, and that's one of the reasons we do the Thanksgiving offering. The Thanksgiving offering is, a, is an awesome way for us to to love on the least of these, right? We're talking about orphans in Mexico. And we're talking about foster kids in this community. And we're talking about single, single sellers at Lamore NAS. And, and we want to love on people and give people an opportunity to be seen and to be loved and to be appreciated. And finally, number three, choose to be a blessing this Christmas. Uh, one way we want to bless our community this Christmas is through our Candlelight services. That is our opportunity to bring everybody here and to make a huge impact. And uh, But to do that, though, we want to challenge you guys to invite your friends, to invite your family members, the people who you want to see learn about Jesus. And so what we have on the way in, you should have received one of these little tags. And here's the challenge for you. Write down the name of somebody you would love to see attend Candlelight with you. It could be a coworker, be a family member, it could be a friend, it could be a neighbor. I already know who I'm writing down. Write down that person's name, pray over that name, hang that name on the tree in our lobby as our decoration on our tree, and pray between now and candlelight and see if that person steps into our services that morning to hear about the grace and love of Jesus Christ, the reason for the Christmas season. We want to challenge you to be an inviter and to see God come through for you. So write down that name on the way out, drop it at the tree, pray for that name, and let's see how God uses you, how God wants to draw this person to himself through your invitation and through your love. Sometimes you just gotta share it, you gotta speak it, you gotta put it out there and make it known and God will honor that and we will see some fruit from that. So uh, Jesus is our hope. Today's message is titled The Man of Hope. And so I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna stand and sing one more song together. During that, you could write down that person's name. You could just reflect on the hope that Jesus came to secure for us and uh, just the, the awesomeness of the Advent season. So I'm gonna pray, Father God. We need your hope. And you came to secure it for us. Bethlehem made way for Calvary. The manger led to a cross. Flesh and blood was taken on by your Son so that flesh and blood might be nailed to a cross, so that those who are made of flesh and blood can one day inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came from heaven to earth to bring a family, a multitude back with him to heaven. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life and that is what we celebrate this Christmas season. We love you and we praise you. Pray that we wouldn't miss it, we pray that we wouldn't look over it. If there's anyone here today who needs to take that step to believe, to trust, to forgive, to to finally say yes to Jesus Christ, I pray that they would make that proclamation and declaration, that they stand in in you and that they would see your grace and your love all over their lives. We lift up this last song to you right We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Will you guys stand with us?